uh, Heir to the Empire, or actually the Thrawn trilogy was contracted to be three books at the same time. It was uh, offered to me in 1989. Uh, Lou Veronica at Bantam just made a deal with uh, uh, Lucasfilm to do three novels. They suggested me, among other authors, Lucasfilm people decided they liked my style, or my style would fit Star Wars best of the ones they were, were shown. And I got one of these out-of-the-blue phone calls 4 o'clock on a Monday afternoon from my agent with the understatement of the decade, Tim, we have a very interesting offer here. So it was a chance to play in the Star Wars universe, to uh, get to kind of continue the saga, picking up after Return of the Jedi. And after about 24 hours of panic at the very thought of it, I decided to go ahead with the project. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 523, Thrawn Trilogy. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Talon card to my Captain Pelion, we've got Carl LeClaire. What are you doing on my planet, Merker? What are you looking for? Oh, just some uh, fuzzy salamanders, that's all, you know. Oh, fuzzy <laughs> salamanders. Sure, sure, sure. Let me show you to the trees with all the Yisalarmi. <laughs> Salamiri, Yisalarmi, the salamis. Those thingies. <laughs> all yes. the salamis uh, on sal- the trees. <laughs> exactly. All the fuzzy salamis. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Jason, we have, so, kind of building up, you know, the excitement to the, uh, the premiere of the Ahsoka episode series in just a couple of weeks here. Uh, you know, with that trailer we got a couple of weeks back, we hear about Thrawn returning as heir to the Empire. And you and I yes. have, we did just a couple of years ago, an entire episode dedicated to heir to the Empire for its 30th anniversary. Um, but it, it has been easily 25 to 30 years since I had read the entire trilogy. Like I, I did air to the empire with you a couple of years ago for the show, but I decided mm-hmm. I ordered that new essential legends collection with, with this really cool box set that was available on Amazon. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to read, I'm going to reread that entire trilogy. It's been years. And then you grabbed them all on audible and, and listened through them as well. Yep. So we thought this would be a great opportunity just to talk Talk over kind of that original Thrawn trilogy that ran from 91 to 93 by Timothy Zahn. Um, And uh, just talk a little bit about each of these books, some things that we really enjoyed in them. And then kind of just looking at, you know, its impact on on Star Wars in general and also kind of thinking about maybe some implications that this trilogy may actually have in the Ahsoka series. Because we know Dave Filoni loved the Legends era. He obviously grew up reading these stories as well. Uh, and I don't oh, yeah. I don't think in any way that the Ahsoka series will be some sort of carbon copy of the Thrawn trilogy. But I would not be surprised no. if there will be elements of those stories that he repurposes in Ahsoka. Uh, most likely. Now, he he's already proven uh, by having Thrawn show up in Rebels and, and all of that, that he's a big fan of 
of this trilogy in particular, and uh, obviously, you know, Timothy Zahn being involved in, in helping to make sure that the character was was faithful to to these stories in particular. So uh, it'll be just very interesting to see how that all transitions into live action uh, for the very first time for this blue skinned, uh, red eyed Imperial Admiral, Grand Admiral, excuse me. <laughs> good old, that a good old chiss. Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, goodness. So if, if you've never read the original Thrawn trilogy, um, and, and are okay with being spoiled, because we're certainly going to talk some plot details from these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, our intention is not to give you plot summaries of these books. You can get those on Wikipedia just fine. Uh, but just more to just some moments from each of these books that stood out to us that we particularly appreciated. But with that said, there will obviously be spoilers in there. So if you've never read this trilogy and are intending to read it spoiler-free, uh, maybe come back to this episode at a later date. Um, if you have read the trilogy and maybe it, like like us, it's been, you know, a several decades since you've read it. Hopefully this will be a fun recap and maybe even maybe even uh, give you the inspiration to go back and, and tackle these stories again, because they are they are definitely fun. Um, and Jason, after finishing that series, I've just decided like I've just kind of committed myself to reading the old Legends canon in chronological release order. Um, so I've read oh, a lot boy. of Star Wars books since finishing this. Like I've done Truce at Bakura. I have done Courtship of Princess Leia. Um, so I'm just I'm just piling forward. Uh, so I had to like sit back and think about, okay, wait, what was in the Thrawn trilogy that I really liked? <laughs> right, right, um, right. Let's let's remember. Think back. Yes. Uh, exactly. And it's and it's been about a month, I think, since I've finished it on Audible. Uh, and I've listened to a couple of different books since then as well. So it's like, oh, right. Uh, Thrawn, Thrawn, bring it back, bring it back. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, is that is that the first Thrawn trilogy or the new Thrawn trilogy that I read earlier? So, <laughs> but we should be good. Uh, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command are, of course, the three books of the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn. Um, and really kind of you know, for a a historical look back launched the expanded universe into uh, the juggernaut. It became in the early uh, to throughout the nineties, I should say um, up, up through the prequel trilogy really uh, because it was still very active and very involved um, and very uh, consequential, I would say um, through that period. But um, yeah, it really is kind of the the launching off point for everything that really uh, came after it. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it deserves its place uh, in in that recognition, I believe. So, absolutely, yeah. So, well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. So let, let's let's let me hit that first. Like the the impact of this trilogy is, you know, like you said, I mean, it, it really did. It was kind of this soft launch for the Star Wars franchise in the early 90s of is there still public interest in Star Wars stories, right? Because when Return of the Jedi wrapped in 83, the only thing you got after that was um, in, I believe, 84 and then 85, you got the Ewoks and the droids cartoons as well as the two Ewok made for TV movies. Um, and they were they were mildly successful, but not successful. Neither neither cartoon was successful enough to get 
Droids only got one season. Ewoks got two. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was kind of this curiosity among, you know, Lucasfilm and George Lucas himself is, you know, do people still want Star Wars? Um, and this was, you know, even even as much as the early 90s, George was at least contemplating doing a prequel trilogy, right? Doing that doing that background story. But it's it was like, well, do people even still care about Star Wars? So they contracted Tim Zahn to to write these stories and they blew up. I mean, they were all New York Times bestsellers like they were wildly popular. So it it really showed Lucasfilm that there is a hunger for Star Wars stories. And like you said, Jason, it it then launched the this really dedicated expanded universe story. So prior to um, prior to Heir to the Empire in 91, of course, you did have the first ever expanded universe Star Wars novel, which was Splinter of the Mind's Eye written by Alan Dean Foster. Um, which I, I know a few episodes ago, I really lamented. I mean, it's not a good story. I'm sorry. It, I still think it sucks. But <laughs> all that to say, um, that was the first ever. And then you also had um, the the Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly in 1979, right before Empire Strikes Back came out. Then you had the Lando Calrissian Adventures, which I think came out in like 81. Um, so those were the only – and then obviously the Marvel Star Wars comics – uh, but those were those were kind of it, and even the Marvel comics were had kind of waned by the late '80s. So, Heir to the Empire in '91 really was this relaunch of the Star Wars brand, and people were ready for it. And and the Thrawn trilogy for a lot of folks in the early '90s, even up till when I was exposed to it in the like mid to late '90s, there was this expectation of like, yeah, this would be this this would be Episode Seven, Eight, and Nine, right? Like this is the story after Return of the Jedi. There was there was this. Real sense in 90, you know, after this trilogy wrapped in 93, this kind of language about Star Wars canon, right? What is the expanded universe canon? And then all the stories that followed started to, you know, these authors started to to bounce ideas off one another. They started to try to be consistent with some of their stories. Um, and that continued, like you said, Jason, all the way up through the prequel era. Um, and uh, and it got a whole new re- recentering in 99 with the new Jedi order series. Um, so, right. but heir to the empire was really just, just showcasing, you know, that the, that popular culture wanted more star Wars stories. Yeah, it did. And you know, it, it, it filled a nice hole in, in the star Wars fan, uh, fan experience, obviously, and proved that star Wars was still popular enough to sell. And obviously that's, you know, what, what brought about the special editions, uh, that and the advent of technology that George was wanting to work with, uh, that he helped develop, obviously. And uh, which, of course, then funded the prequel trilogy, uh, the start of the prequel trilogy. And so in many, it, it, you you won't, it's hard to say if you would have had the prequel trilogy without the Thrawn trilogy of books, hmm. which is, you know, you could make an argument both for and against that. But I think uh, in a very real sense, the groundwork really was laid uh, that provided the vehicle that George was able to take advantage of to get the prequels made and the special editions released. So, um so we can thank Tim Zahn and this trilogy for some of that, I think. Yeah. You know, as you, right after you said, like, as you said those words, Jason, I'm like, ooh, that's a big, that's a big swing, Jason. But, but I think you're actually right. You know, um, 
if if these books came out in the 90s and nobody bought them, nobody cared, um, I feel like George may have been less inclined to tell, right? It had just been like, oh, I don't think people want any more of these stories. Um, and, yeah. and, and I've read lots of really great things from old interviews with Tim Zahn, and I couldn't couldn't quite find any of these in audio form. I, at, the, at the top of the episode, you heard a very short clip of an interview from, I think it was like 2010 with Tim Zahn talking about just how he got the contract right air to the empire. Um, but you know, if, if for him, it really was like, he actually did have a lot of communication with George Lucas um, when he kind of, and, and there were a couple things that he was told that were off limits. He could not kill any major characters he could not go into detail about the Clone Wars and he could not go into detail about Anakin Skywalker. Like those were the caveats that George gave him. Like you can't do these things because I, I think I want to tell those stories at a later date. Um, but and I, again, I, I should have done a little bit better research. I read these things so long ago now that I can't quite remember all the details. But there were definitely a few things when he first handed in the transcript for Heir to the Empire that was shared with George and George had to make George had to make some changes. Like there were a few things George asked him to change. Um, so he, you know, the majority of that that um, expanded universe canon from basically ninety one to ninety nine with the New Jedi Order series, George was pretty hands off except for with the the Thrawn trilogy, and he definitely George definitely had his hands in the Shadows of the Empire story with with Steve Perry. But other than that, George was pretty hands off and and kind of delegated it to other folks in the Lucasfilm, what at that time would have been called the story group. That's not what it was called, but for all intents and purposes, that's what it was. Um, right. But Tim Zahn did have direct interaction with George. Um, and this was a story that George was like, yep, green light on that. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was a story that, um, you know, really captured the imagination of fans and, and somebody like myself and Jason, I'm just – you know, you and I are pretty close in age where this stage in life in our mid to late thirties doesn't make much of a difference. But when you were seven right. and I was 11, like that was a big difference in age. Um, and I was reading these books when you were still probably not even knowing what star Wars was. Um, so like <laughs> th- while the Thrawn trilogy itself was never my favorite of the old legends books, and it still isn't. <laughs> um, it's still like be- None of those things would exist without the Thrawn trilogy. And, you know, these stories kind of became my headcanon for so much of my early fandom, you know, all the way up through the prequels, like everything about Han, Luke and Leia and Chewbacca and and their story after Return of the Jedi was wrapped up in these novels for me. So um, in a lot of ways, that was a blessing for like like little Carl, like playing Star Wars stories. Um, But, you know, obviously later on when we got things like the sequels, you know, two decades later, it was like I had all these stories in my head about where our characters went. And the sequel trilogy told us a story where I was like, I don't know about that. (laughs) Um, So right. And and not to say that the sequels did anything wrong. They just did something different. And uh, uh, but but these stories were the ones that really filled the gap. You know, um, I people always talk about the dark times from essentially 85 through almost 92. Um, gosh, that's not even that long of a period. Boy, boy, do we have it easy these days? <laughs> we have new Star Wars like every <laughs> year. But, um, you know, uh, it's, it's funny to think about like folks who came up with Star Wars in that era, these, these expanded universe stories really filled our imaginations almost more so than the films did, right? There, we had three films to pick from, but then we had this growing, 
uh, library of stories from these expanded universe novels. Um, so those stories meant a lot to me in my early fandom and therefore still have an impact on, on how I think and relate to star Wars today. Right. And, and it's, it is one of those things where, you know, all of us are creating additional stories mm-hmm. that, you know, outside of the movies, you know, that we play even as kids, you know, as kids we're we're creating these stories and these worlds and adventures that we play and then as adults, maybe we start thinking about them. If we're creative, maybe we start drawing them or or whatever we do. Um, and so having novels out there is sort of a way that we can explore some of those ideas and concepts that we had as kids um, of the things outside of the movies. And so when when something like this trilogy comes along that really kind of makes a big splash and a big statement in that, that world outside of the films that people buy into in such a, to such a a big extent. Uh, It means that it's very impactful, obviously even to the point where creatives like Dave Filoni uh, grew up reading these books and are now working at Lucasfilm making new star Wars. So, yeah. (laughs) um, So, it still has its ripple effect to this day, and we'll see see what what else the trilogy has coming down for us. Um, but maybe we should dive into some of the, yeah. the, the key moments from the, the trilogy and, and these books in particular before we before we do that. For sure, yeah. Well, you know, um, let's start with Heir to the Empire, uh, Jason. I'm just going to list off some of the things I really loved, and then I'll shut up and let you list off some of the things you really loved. <laughs> Um, uh, but you know, I think the, the, the thing that still captured me about heir to the empire, even though, again, I just read it a couple years ago for our, for our 30th anniversary of the, of the novel. Um, or was it 25th? Doesn't matter. Um, uh, the thing that stands out most to me about heir to the empire is just the fact that it really captures the, the, the feeling and the energy of the original trilogy insofar as it's a very fast paced story. It is faster and more intense to use George Lucas language. Um, it, <laughs> it, it just, it's, it's very much kind of a high adventure type story. Um, and the thing that I've always loved about the story is it just, it continues the adventure of Han, Luke and Leia. Um, yeah. I love where their story ends at the end of return of the Jedi. And, and while, I still to this day think that return of the Jedi is, is one of the most perfect endings of any fairy tale I've ever experienced. Um, you know, everything gets wrapped up with a bow the, the you know, our heroes have won, but at the same time, it's like, Oh, what's up next for them? Like, what will it look like for Luke to continue into his sense of being a Jedi? Like, what will it look like for Han and Leia to be together? And this story, right? Heir to the empire picks up five years after return of the Jedi, Han and Leia are married with children on, you know, Leia's expecting twins, Luke has still not yet started a new Jedi order, but is in the process of thinking what that might look like. Um, and heir to the mm-hmm. empire just really continues that adventure and, and kind of where it sets our characters up is Han is somebody who's totally, he's still a general in the, in the new Republic. Now he is totally bought into this thing because of his, his now wife, Leia. Leia is very much a, a, the diplomat trying to bring new worlds into the new Republic. And Luke is, this unsure character in under the heir to the empire of boy, it's my task to carry on the Jedi order. But what if I mess up like Ben Kenobi did with my father, right? Like that's a big thing mm-hmm. weighing on Luke's conscience um, throughout the trilogy, but most notably introduced in heir to the empire. 
So I really enjoyed the, the, the kind of the story it's setting up. And then we get these new characters. Uh, most notably, Mar- Mara Jade is my favorite of the new characters that Zahn introduces. And, yes. um, and, and she is this character who's wrapped up in the past. She's wrapped up in this, this memory of the emperor with this prerogative to kill Luke Skywalker. And now she finds herself having to work with Luke as they kind of journey through this, this, uh, the planet Merkur trying to survive, you know, um, they have to rely on one another. And it's, it, it starts this really neat relationship dynamic where Luke has to be with somebody who hates him. And yet Luke continues to meet that hate with compassion and Mara Mara's hatred is slowly gives way to that compassion. So I really love that part of her story. Um, of course we're introduced to Thrawn in this book. Honestly, the entire trilogy, I don't give two shits about Thrawn. <laughs> I'm sorry. He is a super one dimensional, one dimensional boring character in this series to me. Uh, he's a military genius. Sure. I give you that, but there's nothing compelling about him. All of my interest in Thrawn has only been because of the ascendancy trilogy and then other stories since then. Um, but that's not to be a jerk. I just, I just, I never cared about Thrawn back when I read the story the first time. I still don't. Um, he's just not compelling to me in this trilogy. Um, but a lot of other characters are. And I think the last thing I want to mention from Heir to the Empire is it was really cool to see these Yisal army or however you choose to say that the name of those uh, force bubbled salamanders, right? Uh, Timothy Zahn <laughs> has said over the years in interviews that he wanted to create something that could mitigate the power of a Jedi, right? So that they weren't the, Luke wouldn't be the superhero throughout the entire trilogy. Um I think that they're still kind of an odd thing, but I understand the purpose of them. And I think in 91, that made a lot of sense of if Luke is this mm-hmm. super powered Jedi and there's no other Jedi in the universe, what do you do about that? So he, he creates this thing that kind of keeps that force power in check. I mean, it's essentially kryptonite at the end of the day, right? Like it's star Wars version of kryptonite. Right. So, right. Um, but those are the Which big is- things from air to the empire that, that I kind of wanted to mention. Yeah, no, there's some really great stuff in this book. Um, I do like the appearance of the ghost of Obi Wan showing oh, up right. to Luke at the beginning to oh, say yes. to say goodbye, essentially. Yeah. It, and the the crazy thing is, is the setting for that that farewell is in Luke's apartment in the Imperial Palace on Coruscant. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and you know it trans. Planting that into our knowledge of Coruscant from the prequels, you can imagine he's looking out and can see the old Jedi Temple. Um, you know, obviously they don't mention that uh, in the book because it, that wasn't a thing at the time. But you know, in my mind, as I'm watching the movie play out, as I'm listening to the book, it, it's in the background, um, <laughs> like it is at the end of the ce- in the celebration of Return of the Jedi. Uh, but uh, I I really enjoyed that. Um, Mara is uh, a great new character. Uh, she's, you know, obviously uh, a very angry and broken person as she's dealing with the complete implosion of her life. Her her life was wrapped around the will of the emperor and doing what he wanted. Um, and her role was so secretive that... You know, we'll find out throughout the trilogy more and more about it. Her role was so secretive that uh, once the Emperor was gone, most people in the Empire had no idea who she was. And so any prestige or position that she had within the Empire just collapsed underneath her. 
Mm. So not only does she have no place within the empire anymore because uh, the, the man who she was attached to is dead, but now she's got this, this haunting by him uh, to kill Luke Skywalker and the, the visions and the dreams that she has about his version of what happened uh, aboard the Death Star. Uh, so I, I, I always thought that was interesting as we kind of get more and more into to her story is that the Emperor is, is showing her a warped picture of what actually happened on board the Death Star uh, to him at the hands of Luke and Vader, um, which is one more manipulation by Palpatine. Um, so obviously that catches my attention. Um, <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I, I'm... I'm a fan of, you know, a lot of the new characters in this. Obviously, I've talked about Captain Pelion as one of my favorite characters from the the Legends canon. Uh, and this is obviously where he kind of gets his start. Um, Talon Card's a cool, a cool guy. Um, I do enjoy him. It's a great new character. Uh, I will say one of my favorite scenes from this book, though, is at the end uh, when Han and Lando uh, and Talon Card's men are trying to stage the rescue of Luke and Mara as they've made their way through the the forest and they're coming into that that little town and there's an ambush being set for them. And then finally, Luke uh, is able to get his lightsaber. He still doesn't have the Force right now because the Salamari are uh, still blocking him, but he manages to get his lightsaber uh, from R2 and collapses an arch on top of the Imperial forces that are uh, attacking all of them and escorting them in and everything like that. And the, the fact that he's still able to be a Jedi without force mm. uh, in that moment uh, was always a really cool thing. And, and I think definitely something that made, uh, you know, Mara goes, that's interesting. He's, you know, He's not a nobody, even though he doesn't have the force, you know, which she kind of treated him as yeah. up until that point. So um, so that's probably my favorite scene of the entire first book in Air of the Empire is that that whole battle sequence. Um, and it's it's done very well in the audio book because you get the all the sound effects and the music going in the background um, as Mark Thompson narrates it. So. If you're if you're looking for a really fun audio book read, uh, this is a good one. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I I just real quick want to rewind to because I'm I'm glad you mentioned it. I, the the scene it's early it's and it's early in the story when uh, Luke has uh, Ben Kenobi come to him and yeah. Ben's last words to him. You know, Luke is like, "Well, I'm the last of the Jedi." He goes, "Not the last of the Jedi, but the first of the new Jedi," or something like something of that. Right. Like he, he, that's always been Ben's, uh, Obi-Wan's purpose with Luke is to kind of just refocus him to give him a new perspective. So it's right. Luke's kind of wallowing there and like the, the weight of like, I'm the last Jedi and I have this tremendous responsibility, but Obi-Wan shows up and basically says, no, you're the first of the new Jedi, right? Like go make something new now. Yeah. Um, which is, I think is, this isn't an imposing, this isn't an imposing weight. This is a fresh opportunity. Yeah. You know, a, a way to try to just get him to, you know, change his point of view. Ooh, um, 
because many of the truths that we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) See what I did there? I sure did, did, Jason. I sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Now, Um, I will say, uh, before we jump into the next book, um, I, like you, had only reread Heir to the Empire in recent years. So going back and reading uh, Dark Force Rising and The Last Command this time around, or listening, because that's how I read these now, uh, was the first time I'd done this since the 90s, mm. like the late 90s, when I first found these books at the library. And then maybe as early 2000s, because uh, that's when I was really looking at books. So like 2000, 2001. So it's been a long time. Uh, and I remembered vague impressions of these books. Uh but finally going back and getting into these stories was a lot of fun. Sure. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, cool. Well, uh, should we jump into Dark Force Rising? I think we should. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, I, I, was, I was so excited when I picked this book up, Jason, uh, just a couple months ago. Because, like I said, you know, yeah, I had just reread Heir to the Empire a couple of years prior. And really had enjoyed it, but I was like, man, this is a story I've not read in you know in, in a couple decades. So I was really excited for it. And um and and really, really enjoyed <laughs> really, really enjoyed reading it. Uh so a couple of the things that stood out to me from this book, so it's you know, continues that story from Heir to the Empire. All the all the all the pieces have been set up, right? I I will say this to Timothy Zahn's credit, like this trilogy it, it it really had a similar trajectory to the original trilogy, right? Like the opening story mm-hmm. sets the things into f- focus. The second story is kind of this, this deeper, like who are our characters? What are the things they're struggling with? And the third one is this big final act. Um, but I'll say this to its credit, as opposed to the sequel trilogy, while it, it followed the form of the original trilogy, it was its own story. <laughs> so um, unlike, Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, which are super derivative movies. <laughs> um, again, they're fun. They're fun stories, but they are a little too on the nose copies. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. One thing I, I do want to comment on that is as a whole trilogy, that's something I did appreciate about this trilogy is that uh, there was an, obviously an overall plot and overall story that happened Um a couple of the characters had their various subplots that all fed into the main plot, but it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't overcrowded uh, mm. with plots and machinations and things like that. And that was something I did appreciate. And it was like, I kept expecting there to be uh, another complication or another, uh, you know, another story woven in amongst everything like that. And I was like, I was pleasantly surprised at, I, I hesitate to word, use the word simplicity, but the streamlined focus of the mm, trilogy. Yeah. I felt the trilogy was very cohesive in that sense, um, which I did appreciate. So. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, things uh, Timothy Zahn have, has shared over the years in, in, in conversation and in interviews is that when he was when he was contracted to do this this trilogy in, in 1989, he just started writing the trilogy, right? Um, and that's why, and I think this was true of a lot of those authors in that era. Cause even 
like my favorite trilogy from that era is the Jedi Jedi Academy trilogy by Kevin J. Anderson, which and all of these books came out in the in those books all came out in the same year, but only a couple months apart. The 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 Thrawn trilogy was one book a year from ninety one through ninety three, um, but all of these authors that were given trilogies kind of wrote them as as big hunks, and then the publishing companies just split split up when to release them. So like to, mm. to, to just like for the credit what you just said, Jason, right? Like these stories were kind of written in as as and as entire stories that were. Um, I mean, Zahn obviously knew it was going to be a trilogy and certainly wrote it as such. But at the same time, he had that overarching, like, here's the story I want to tell and here's how I'm going to tell it. Right. So, um, but yeah, uh, so Dark Force Rising, uh, there's a lot of really neat things in this. Um, So the the couple things I'm going to call out is uh, this is the story where Luke has, uh, uh, he goes and meets up with Joris Saboth, right? Uh, this kind of crazed ex Jedi clone, um, and oh, and Luke goes he's a fascinating, super fascinating character, person. yeah, um, and and a really cool balance with Thrawn. Thrawn is just like so cold and calculating and, and ingenious, and then you've got this very unhinged, powerful character who's the only thing keeping yeah. him from pure madness and just destroying Thrawn is the Yisal army, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, they always kind of keep Sabath at bay. Um, but yeah, so Luke goes to Joe Mark, the, the planet that he goes to meet, to meet up with Sabath because Sabath has been calling to him. And, and Luke has a really hard time. Like he's Luke is so excited. Like, Oh my gosh, a surviving Jedi. This is great. Because again, like where heir to the empire sets him up is, is he's very unsure about how to go forward, creating a new Jedi order. So he sees Sabath as this opportunity to connect with with another Jedi master from the old times that could probably help him. But he goes and meets up with with him on Joe Mark and learn like just his experience of him is like, whoa, this guy is nothing like Yoda or Obi Wan. <laughs> like he's very unhinged. He's very very uh, he's very very pompous, right? Like he sees because power the, oriented exactly. Like and Sabath is like Jedi have power. And everybody else ought to kneel to us because we have power. And Luke is like, whoa, that is not what I learned. (laughs) Um, So it's this really great opportunity for Luke to kind of get the opportunity to choose, like, how does he want to interpret what it means to be a Jedi? And he kind of rejects the teachings of Sabbath in favor of the teachings that he received from Yoda and Obi-Wan. Another thing that really stands out in this book is uh, Leia's diplomatic mission to to, to the Nogri. I, I'm blanking on the name of their planet. Do you remember it, Jason? Honiger, I think. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and again, pronunciation. Well, you're probably going to be better with pronunciations because you listen to the books. I mean, these are the things I'm I'm making up in my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> um, but I really like like so much of Leia's story in this book is so going to Honiger and 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 connecting with the Nogri and and helping them see a new perspective. Right, the Nogri are faithful to the Empire by this because of this perceived narrative they have that the empire was their savior. But Leia kind of comes in and says, no, they, they sold you a false narrative um, and, and, and kind of offers them uh, a more liberated view of, of what it means to be free and does it with the pretense of you don't have to be part of the new Republic, but I just want to shed light on the fact that you've been believing a lie. 
right? Like I'm not just going to do this to recruit you, but also for your own benefit so that you have the freedom to choose. I I think it's a really powerful, beautiful story for Leia. And this is, I think one of the things I think Timothy Zahn does best of among a lot of Star Wars authors is world building. You know, like he really establishes this, this culture of the Nogri, you know, and, and this is something like, I mean, I love George did this throughout all six of his films, you know, from the Ewok culture to the Gungan culture, like you get a sense from these brief moments of, of these indigenous groups that they have a rich, beautiful culture. You don't get any of that in the mm-hmm. sequel trilogy, unfortunately. But uh, Timothy Zahn does does a beautiful job of really establishing kind of this 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 intricate Nogri society, and and Leia gets to come in there. The one thing I will say that I felt like I was kind of sad that was lacking was right. The Nogri refer to her as Lady Vader, and that's where their allegiance to her comes from, is because they're they have kind of this pr- profound allegiance to Darth Vader. Uh, I just found it interesting that Timothy Zahn chose to just sidestep what that might mean. Those implications might mean for Leia. Like Leia obviously knows that Anakin is her father. um, But here it is five years later. So I guess maybe she has come to terms with being okay with that, but he doesn't ever really get into what that might say to her character. But that said, the very next book in the Star Wars EU from the 90s is Truce at Bakura. And there is, that's a central tenet of that story, is Leia really grappling with what does it mean to be the child of Darth Vader. Um, so that was something that was that Kathy Tyers picked up in her her very next uh, expanded universe story, Truce at Bakura. Um, uh, but yeah, but I love that whole element for, for Leia. Uh, Han and Lando kind of go on this side quest uh, to find the Dark Force, to, to find this, uh, this, this missing dreadnought fleet. And they bump into this senator, Senator Bell Iblis. And it's funny because Han almost like has like a hero worship of this character. Because uh, yeah. he's, <laughs> he he's, he's Corellian, right? Bell Iblis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's the. The former senator from uh, Corellia uh, that uh, initially started the rebellion uh, with Mon Mothma is the story. And then because of differences in how they were doing things, uh, he left. Yes. And Mon Mothma uh, became essentially the undisputed head of the rebel alliance at that point. Right. But even that whole, like that whole side piece there, it, it, it indicates things that we now see in the story of Andor, right? The Andor story is all about this early rebellion and, and these conflicting ideas of what does it mean to, to be a rebellion? How do you effectively rebel against the empire? So even in dark force rising, you have Han bumping into the Senator who we learn had differing opinions from Mon Mothma on how to start a rebellion. Um, uh, and, and, Continuing with the story of Mara Jade here, Mara, uh, Mara is <laughs> she and Talon Card are captured by Thrawn, um, but she's able to get out of it because she's able to prove that she was the Emperor's hand, right, and 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 deserves a certain level of respect from the Imperial hierarchy. But Card is not going to be given that, so Mara has to. She seeks out Luke for help to help break out Talon Card, yeah. and and you get this whole fun little again, like this is super like OT serial adventure fun of Luke and Mara having an adventure on board the Chimera to break out Talon Card, and it's just a really fun such sequence. a good sequence, yeah. Um, so and 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 to me, the last thing I want to know is then the kind of the, the story closes with a big space battle and Mara Jade's fighter that she's flying and gets destroyed and she ejects into space 
and is presumed to be dead, but Luke goes and rescues her. So again, like Luke, while openly knowing that she hates him and wants to kill him, his compassion continues to seek her out. Uh, so I, I really like that dynamic of their characters. Um, and I think what this sets up for Luke is that he's again, he, he starts this trilogy really unsure of himself being able to start a new Jedi order because what if, what if I train the next Vader? But I think his interactions with Mara is showing that no matter how much hate somebody has, if you continue to meet it with compassion, they can change their ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, Luke is wearing her down and it's really funny to watch her keep trying to resist it, but finding fewer and fewer reasons to do so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, but I'll say, you know, some of the, the, the things you mentioned were definitely things I enjoyed. The, the interactions with Sabath, Luke and Sabath were really, really interesting because, you know, and it's brought into sharp relief even within the book. Um, obviously, it's it's very different from everything that Luke learned from from Yoda and Obi Wan, but we start the book with Luke meeting up with Lando in a in a cantina. Essentially, I think it might be a gambling den, but it's a cantina essentially, and a fight breaks out, and Luke steps in to mediate it. And because oh, yeah. he's a Jedi, uh, the they the the parties who are fighting defer to his his wisdom and his judgment in the matter even if it's not what they wanted out of the situation they respect him enough because of his standing as a jedi um and the way that he you know delicately handled the situation that they are able to agree to the the judgment if you will that luke dispenses at the end of the situation and then seeing that taking that that happens like pretty early on in the book Mm -hmm. and then we take him to joe mark where he's hanging out with sabath and sabath takes him down to where he likes to preside over the villagers um that live near his residence there on the planet and he's got this throne that he sits in and he has Luke sit on this throne and the people bring their, their quarrels and their issues to be mediated and dealt out. Uh, and then they find out because he's been, Sabath has been like looking into people's minds to find, you know, uh, any, any hints of wrongdoing or, or things that he doesn't like. And they find uh, a, a fight about to happen. And the two of them step in and he has Luke mediate it. And the way Luke mediates it is definitely not the way Joris wanted him to. Right. Uh, and so having all that happen was, was a really interesting um, dichotomy and everything like that. It was really cool. Uh, you mentioned the, the fight, uh, the, the, the running escape essentially from, the chimera for Luke, uh, Mara and Talon card getting off of the chimera and everything they had to do to jump through hoops. (laughs) And the fact that they, uh, that they had to get on board the Falcon because, uh, Leia had had to leave it to go to Honiger with the Nogri and Thrawn found it. And so he picked it up. And so 
they have to leave on the Falcon. And it was just this really funny way that Timothy Zahn got the Falcon back to the good guys um, at the end of it. So I enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> the the interesting part of of Leia's journey to the Nogri. Um, and when they first call her Lady Vader, she she does react. I do, if I recall correctly, she does react like it catches her off guard for sure. But she's so focused on because the Nogri have been coming after her to kidnap her uh, for you know since the series began, since the first book. Uh, and so the fact that when they actually start talking, she has the opportunity to start talking with them. She's so focused on like turning the the Nogri to their side that she just stuffs down and ignores the Lady Vader part is kind of my the way I took it at least. Mm. Um and so she processes it all later, which is when we get the truth of Bakura. But in this book she's like, I'm I gotta get this. We we need we need them. So I'll worry about me later. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um which is a very Leia thing to do, let's be perfectly honest. Um but uh I did I did enjoy the you know the procession. I can't and I cannot remember if this is at the end of Dark Force Rising or the beginning of the last command when she has her whole procession and is able to uh present her case to the, the Nogri Council. I think that's um, I think you're right. I think that's Dark Force Rising. Because she, okay. she yeah, leaves Honiger in the end of that book and doesn't, as far as I remember, she doesn't go back in Last Command. Luke goes there in Last Command. That, but, and, that's and, right. And, that's and her is. impact on the Nogri, it, it makes things even better is, for Luke. So, Right. It's very evident, uh, her impact there. But she makes a very, very impassioned uh, speech and plea uh, and is able, the, the whole procession that we kind of get, like, because they're, they have to keep it quiet because they don't want the Imperials to find out. So they're, they're moving at night uh, in a speeder with no lights and everything like that. And finally, like the moon comes out and they're able to see that all of these Nogri from the villages that they've been going through have been coming along. And there's just a crowd of them silently escorting her to their capital city, to the, the big place it was, was an image that I'm just like, I want to see that somewhere. I want to <laughs> see that on screen. I want to see that in a, in a drawing like that. That's an image that I was like, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, there, there's some really great imagery and fun storytelling in this book as well, for sure. Yeah. Um, but let's uh let's go to the last command where we get it all wrapped up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I yeah. will say sorry, one thing mm. I did want to mention about Bell Iblis is he did give me a little bit of like Luthen vibes from Andor. Oh, so Luthen okay. yeah. Luthen has a little bit of Bell Iblis. I think Luthen is a bit more uh calculating and a bit more willing to uh take risks with people's lives than Bell Iblis is. But there's definitely the the sort of role that they might have, you know, that it's implied Bell Iblis had in the early days of the rebellion kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Luthen and Andor. So that's really cool. I like that connection. I can definitely see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Last Command, uh, the final book of this trilogy 
Uh, and and <laughs> things get a little things get a little crazy. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I, I will say, like as much as Rise of Skywalker is a ridiculous movie, I think it was definitely had some inspiration from Last Command. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. But for me, Jason, some of the things that really stood out to me in this in this final book of the trilogy um, is you you get Talon Card attempting to build a smuggler alliance to aid the new republic and what's interesting is this is something that han tried to do in heir to the empire he reached out to some of his old smuggling buddies and was like listen the new republic wants to hire you you don't have to fight a war or anything but we want to hire you but you know they're like ah we're not like you han we don't want to buy in and even talon card is like that in heir to the empire like ah you know no we're doing our own thing out here but here by the end of the story I think it's because Card is, you know, Jason. It's interesting. We're 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 now diving into the last book of the trilogy. And we've still not really said anything explicit about Thrawn. And again, I think that just showcases. I mean, he's he is kind of one dimensional here. Um, and that's not to say that people couldn't have loved him. And I know some folks that did. But he he's just a military right. mastermind. Like that's like if that's your thing, cool. You're going to love this character. Um, he's the imperial boogeyman. Yeah. Um, of this trilogy. And and there's nothing wrong with that. He's he is cold. He's calculating. He is impressive in his ability to, you know, outthink people uh, and to, you know, take advantage of of people's assumptions. Yeah. Uh, and then create uh, create a a a reputation that's bigger than him so that people will react in certain ways. Um, so he's a tactical genius, but that's, that is who he is in this book is a tactical genius. Right. Period. Yeah. And, 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 and I wanted to make sure we mentioned that because when we get to talent card in the final book is he does see Thrawn as a, as a genuine threat to not, I don't think he really cares about the new Republic, but it's just, wow, no. he's, he's, he, but he's going to put a hamper on every, everybody once he's taken command and even the life of a smuggler is going to be impacted. So I think it's more of him wanting to preserve his way of life. Um, and, and I appreciate that, you know, um, he's kind of he's kind of the character that Han wasn't. Um, you know, he th- it was a, this was what what Ryan Johnson said was important to him when he created the character DJ for Last Jedi was he wanted this kind of like roguish smuggler character who didn't go the Han Solo route that didn't have the heart of gold and, and you know, chooses to be the hero. Talon Card isn't quite DJ because he is kind of a heroic character by the final final book here. But I think it works mm-hmm. in so far as he he doesn't really care about the cause to use like, you know, like the New Republic cause. But what he does care about is preserving his way of life and, and the way of life of smugglers. So, you know, Thrawn is a threat to that even. So he's trying to build this alliance of smugglers to oppose it. And he's able to do it. And I think he's able to do it, whereas Han isn't because Card is still high up in that world, whereas a lot of folks in that world see Han as just a sellout, right? Like Han was the one who sold right. out, married a princess, and is now a general yeah. in the Rebe- in the New Republic. Um, but Talon Card is still this kind of the smuggling prince, if you will, um, <laughs> right. yes. and uh, and and is able to kind of successfully do that. Uh, I, there's one of my what i think one of the most beautiful scenes across the trilogy for me is the scene when leia gives birth to jason and jaina um mm. and, and and i meant to grab the book so i could read it out loud but whatever i i didn't do that and it's fine but uh it's just it's a really beautiful scene in the midst of right like things the, the war with thrawn is amping up 
Luke is out there doing his thing. Everything is getting really, really big and, and invested. And Leia gets this moment of peace where she gives birth. And, and it's this really beautiful – and she gives birth on Coruscant. It's this really beautiful scene where she understands her life is about to change so dramatically. And all she wants is the peace of, of this moment of just getting to be with her newborn children and with her and with Han. And uh, it's just a really, really beautiful scene that I think yeah. it, it, it gives Leia kind of this personal investment into why she chose to be part of the rebellion from from the get go is is to create a galaxy where folks can live lives of peace and enjoy those lives of peace. And Leia gets a moment of that herself in this final book of the trilogy when, when having her children born. And I think it really acts as this really personal reminder of why she's always been in this fight, you know, is, is, mm-hmm. is, is to preserve and to allow moments like this to continue in the galaxy. Um, so I, I just, I found that really, really beautiful. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. She's been fighting so long for other people to have the future that they can have for their kids and their their children's children and all of that. And now it's all come very very personal for her in a in a moment that's very you know surprisingly peaceful in the midst of everything that's going on. She's she's in a council meeting with Mon Mothma and the other. New Republic leaders when she's like, I'm sorry, I need to go <laughs> to, to the hospital now. Yeah. Uh, um, which is a bit of a relief because it, it allows her to take to get out of all of that and that all of, out of all of that chaos for a moment and let her really have the time to focus in and be like, yes, this this is what I'm fighting for. This is what all of the cause is for and it's it's a really it really is a nice little little beautiful moment yeah um well I'm, i'll follow that up with another high adventure moment in last command is <laughs> yes. the empire's attempt to to infiltrate coruscant and and uh basically uh abduct leia and her children um it's kind of a revenge of the Sithy in a way, right? Like uh, Grievous's plot mm-hmm. to to come steal the Chancellor away. Um, so there's this this Imperial Strike Force that's sent there by Thrawn, and uh, it, it, this scene was always one that, like, I remember reading it as like like young Carl. This was something that filled my imagination. Like, wow, what a cool little like thing to pretend to play out when I played big Star Wars is I'm protecting Leia and her children and Coruscant from these invading Imperials. Um, but but what's significant in the story element is, one, the scariness that the Empire still has enough reach and infiltration that they can get to the heart of the New Republic like this. Um, but more than anything, it's a big moment for Mara Jade because Mara Jade mm-hmm. is the one who kind of notices what's about to happen and chooses to step in, right? Like she doesn't yeah. really have any allegiance to Leia or her children, but Mara chooses to step in all the same. Um, she's been met with so much compassion from Luke and and also has been met with compassion from Leia um, that mm-hmm. it just it, it, it string it springs her into action. And uh, she's kind of the one to help come and save the day and, and win that fight uh, for them. Uh, so it's it's a really big moment for Mara Jade as well, for her to 
kind of willingly choose to stand up on the side of the new Republic in a, in a way here. Um, it's, it's really great. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, no, yeah. I, and I think what I, what I like about all of this is it really does have a nice culmination to the, the relationship that Leia and Mara started to develop at the beginning of the book, because Leia comes and visits Mara early on and Mara flat out tells her, Mm. I'm going to kill your brother. And Leia, you know, Mara says she registered a bit of surprise from Leia, but that was about it. Like Leia didn't like react harshly. She went, Oh, okay. Basically it was all that Leia did. She went, okay. He didn't tell me that. Um, (laughs) but I've heard about you. So, (laughs) um, and so kind of getting from that point to, to where she's literally putting her life on the line to save Leia and her children from this Imperial strike force was really good. And it was a very well-written sequence. The, the action sequence there, uh, on Coruscant in the Imperial Palace. Uh, it was, if I didn't know how it was going to end ahead of time, it would have been very, very, very intense for me. It was still was. Uh, it was a very intense, high, um, high action, high intensity uh, sequence. It was very well written and definitely played out very cinematically in my head listening to it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I'll shut up here in a second, Jason, the last couple of things I wanted to mention from last command is of course the, the I mean, kind of the epic showdown showdown, uh, on Mount Tantus, you know, where, uh, you have the, the most silly thing ever, but it's amazing in the duel between Luke and Luke, <laughs> um, and, and Mara Jade and Sabath, right? So kind of everything comes to a head. And this is to me, it's what's, it's very Rise of Skywalker in the sense of like, it's really swinging for the fences here. It's, it's really leaning into some of the fantasy elements of Star Wars, um, where you have Sabath. Once again, he's trying, I mean, he's really trying to, 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 to bring everybody over to the dark side. And somehow he was able to recover Luke's severed hand on Bespin. And from that hand, clone Luke. Right, and he gets Luke with two U's, so he's Luke. Um, do you remember how it was right. pronounced on the audiobook, Jason? I don't. I think it was. Uh, I think it was just like a little Luke. It was okay. just a, like a little extra. Uh, you okay. Know. It was Luke and Luke. Yeah, I like it. Being it Luke. was. <laughs> it was mainly just referred to as the clone. You know. Yeah. After the initial introduction, so right. Uh, it's it's pretty. Ad- it's pretty silly, but also kind of neat. Um, yeah, like it's 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 the, this cloning facility that is available even now to Thrawn, right? And we also learn in Dark Force Rising that Thrawn has been using, like, has been able to utilize these clones that he uncovered that were the Emperors, and that's how he's able to man this this Dark Force fleet that they found. Um, mm-hmm. So there is there is this real implication that like the New Republic is in danger because of this. So Luke is there to yeah. kind of destroy this cloning facility, and he's you know he's being helped by Lando and Han and Chewie as well. Um, and you know it just it comes to a head of this this big duel, and Mara Jade gets to defeat Luke. <laughs> um, 
And and she also defeats Sabath uh, by using Leia's lightsaber, which I, I forgot that little caveat, which once again, Ray Skywalker is able to just defeat Palpatine by using the the Skywalker and and Leia Organa sabers. Um, so mm-hmm. I feel like that's an element that may have you know been carried over into Episode Nine. Um, but yeah, so Mara Jade and and you've made this point a lot, Jason, when you and I have been talking off air a lot about this trilogy. So I'll shut up in a second so you can make your points, but. That Mara's finally able to complete the thing that's been haunting her across this trilogy, which is the Emperor's wishes that she defeat Luke Skywalker. And and this element kind of allows her to do that and finally be at peace. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, you you I mean you mentioned that to me weeks ago, and I was just like, Wow, I can't believe I didn't really realize how how important that is for her character journey. So, you know, uh, I I'm gonna let you say things. <laughs> yeah, uh, she the dreams start coming back. There's dreams about, you know, you will kill Luke Skywalker, you know, they, and she's started to, you know, it, at the beginning of the last command, it's, it's almost like she's started to, or no, sorry. By the end of uh dark force rising, it feels like she's started to move past it to, to push beyond this, this haunting of Palpatine. But then she ends up in the Imperial palace back kind of where she used to live her old life, you know, at the beginning of last command. And so things start coming hard and fast again. And she, it's, it starts building in strength and intensity again, her, these, these dreams and these visions of Palpatine speaking to her, but she's keeps pushing further and you know harder and harder back against them because she's like, is this really me? Mm. Uh, is this really what I want to do? Is this just the spirit? Spitefulness of a dead man, uh, which she and Leia have a little bit of a conversation about because when Leia was orbiting over Endor, which is where she was supposed to meet up with her ride uh, with the Nogri to go to Honiger, she went through the place in the orbit where the Death Star blew up and mm. had just a, a massive attack from the dark side of the Force that just kind of like knocked her out. Uh, it was just anger and rage and fury from the emperor, um, that, that lingering effect of his. And so they had that conversation and Mara is trying to grapple with how much of this is really, really part of me and how much of this is just the echoes of the emperor. Um, and what am I supposed to do about it? And then she and Luke end up on Wayland to take out this cloning facility and she's finally able to, because of the, the clone of Luke Skywalker, she's able to kill Luke Skywalker. Now there's an extra U in his name this time, but that doesn't really matter. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but she's able to finally make peace with the past that's haunting her in a way that makes sense to her and breaks that off of her breaks that, that influence and breaks that, that haunting. Cause it really is a haunting of the emperor on her, you know, on her mind and on her soul. It feels like to me. Um, and she's able to break that off by this act. And it's really finally able to just put it to bed. And she gets that, that ability to kind of breathe again, 
and feel like she can really start over and have a new life uh, now that she's she's done this and completed that act and is able to leave the old behind and find out what's new for her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, it's, and, and, and that's kind of how this story ends for her too, is, is Luke offers her his old lightsaber, which was also the lightsaber of Anakin, um, you know, and, and, and basically offers her a new life. And this, and this, mm-hmm. the book ends and this trilogy ends with her, you know, following after Luke, you know, and I, and I yeah. love, I love that, that, that it has such an open ending, you know, uh, Luke's compassion has broken down those walls. She has found the freedom from the thing that is the demons that have haunted her. And now she can follow, uh, she can follow somebody into the light now. And, and, you know, I, I've always wondered if in the nineties, um, and this answer might be out there, um, but I've always wondered if Timothy Zahn, in his mind, saw a romantic relationship as something that would develop between Luke and Mara. Um, as I read this story, I mean, again, like I, I know where their story ends up, right? I know that they end up married, that they have a child together. Um, but I can't help but wonder if that's – I don't know if that's really what Zahn's intentionality was. I, I, don't, I also don't think it matters, right? Like I think it's it, right. it, it, it ends with an open door and whatever they will become is for the future to tell. Um, that said, I mean, it is Timothy Zahn in a later book in his uh, – you know, uh, Hand of Thrawn duology, Spectre of the Past and Visions of the Future. It's in Visions of the Future that Luke and Mara go on this extended adventure together, and that story ends with them getting married. Um, so obviously, yes, it was eventually Zahn's idea for them to get married, but I wonder if in this particular trilogy he saw that as their trajectory. Um, if, if you're listening to the show and you actually know that answer from an interview with Zahn or anything, certainly let us know. Um, I, I just don't. And, and again, I don't think it really mattered to him at this time. Um, I think it was more, I think the story of Mara and Luke in this story is ultimately, I think for Mara, it's the freedom to let go of a, of a, of a haunted past, right? The ability mm-hmm. to, to, for somebody to meet her with compassion and, and, and say like, it's okay to let go of these things that are haunting you. Um, and, and finding, uh, finding out how to do that. And I think it's also really important for Luke again, like we talked about his, his story begins with him really having a lot of self doubt about if he's able to start a new Jedi order, but he probably looks at right. somebody like Mara and says like, yeah, I, I really am because if there's one thing I've learned well about what it means to be a Jedi, it's to be compassionate. And here he is once again, seeing the fruits of his compassion, just like he was able to bring his father out of the dark. He's able to bring yet another person out of the dark by meeting them with compassion. And I think that's what will equip Luke to then move forward saying, I can do this. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, you know, the success of all of that is definitely part of what gives Luke the confidence moving forward to say, all right, now it is time to train, which is why he offers Mara the lightsaber because throughout the trilogy, he's been, you know, questioning, like, you know, he knows the likelihood that his niece and nephew are going to be force sensitive is high. Uh, So he's like, well, I need to be prepared. Yeah. It's it's high. It's very high. Um, <laughs> to quote KT. <laughs> I, exactly. Um, and so 
you know, he's like, I'm going to have to train them. Am I qualified? Am I able to do that? Am I, is this something I'm even capable of doing? And that's, you know, a large part of the journey that he goes on throughout this entire trilogy is working through those doubts and those insecurities and the questioning about all of that. And throughout all of this, he's able to, you know, with his interaction with Sabalth, really solidify what the approach of a Jedi should be. And then through helping Mara sort of reconnect with force powers that she's uh, been essentially, you know, disconnected to uh, for a bit, uh, kind of reconnect to all of that. He's able to say, all right, I can, I can attempt this. And, you know, I think this, that's really part of what gives him the, the confidence and the, the courage to say, all right, now I need to make some next steps in all of this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of the open door ending that we end on for him in this, uh, because it's, it's not, it's not just an open door for Mara. It's also an open door for Luke um, in that respect as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what? But, yeah. Sorry. No, well, go ahead. Okay. Well, my final thing I Sorry. want to say uh, about the book is, of course, Th- Thrawn's own demise, right? What what ultimately kills him. So they you know, they also go into a final yeah. big closing space battle, and uh, the Empire certainly has, for the most part, the upper hand until Card shows up with his smuggler alliance. Um, but then yes. Thrawn is killed by Rook, right? His Nogri bodyguard. And uh, it does sort of come out of nowhere, but in a good way, insofar as like Rook has always been super faithful to Thrawn throughout this trilogy. Um, but it sh- it really, once again, shows the payoff of Leia's mission to, to the Nogri people. And again, able mm-hmm. to show them that, you know, yes, the, while the Empire seems to have been on your side, they actually weren't. Um, so Rook avenges that by killing Thrawn at the end of the story, um, right? And and what it just made me think of when I when I read it is is kind of similar to Palpatine. Palpatine is never able to see how the compassion of others can affect other people, right? Like right. Thrawn is brilliant; he's a military genius. He can study the art all they want, but for whatever reason, his similar to Palpatine, his kind of his blind spot is the impact of others' compassion. Yeah, exactly. I think his final words were, but it was done beautifully or yeah, something like something that. Like that. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a little disappointed, but he's not mad, which is funny um, to me, but yeah. And you know, the, one of the things that we learn when Luke visits the Nogri at the beginning of last command is that they are very quietly person to person passing along the news and the, that, you know, of, of Leia's discovery of what, what's been going on with their planet and the change in allegiance, basically, for the Nogri. Um, and so that keeps getting further and further out to all the various Nogri teams. And obviously, it's finally gotten to Rook as well. Um, and I do love um, one of the, the scenes early on, in, or not early on, one of the scenes after the Nogri bodyguards show up on Coruscant uh, to protect Leia and and Han and the the children. 
Um, I think Leia has to go down to the war room for something. And the Nogri are short. Uh, they're, they're a short race. And so they disguise themselves as Jawas. And so um, it's, it's funny <laughs> that they, he mentions that a couple of very, uh, you know, uh, pushy Jawa, very out of place Jawas force themselves onto the, the elevator, just uh, the turbo lift just before it descends down to the war room. And then they sort of like vanish into the crowd when it, uh, when it opens at the, the destination, which is funny. Um, one other part of the, this story that I enjoyed a lot was the sort of the, the tension between Bel Iblis and Mon Mothma. Uh, Bel Iblis is refusing to sort of actively join in and help the New Republic uh, because of the the worry and the concern that he had that Mon Mothma would seize control of the the rebellion and then the New Republic and essentially rule it as a benevolent dictator. Uh, mm. which is one step away from being the emperor all over again. Uh, and he refuses to step in to aid uh, until she asks him directly. Um, and there's a really great scene where uh, Leia is trying to talk him down from that position because they need his tactical help because Akbar is... Uh, is out with a different fleet and Coruscant's being attacked and they need his expertise and he's not budging and fi- and in the middle of the conversation, Mon Mothma comes in and uh, they, she doesn't outright ask him, but in that moment he offers because there, there's a whole history that we kind of get summed up uh, in subtext between the two of them, that was a really interesting way I, that I, that um, Thrawn or Zahn wrote that. Uh, and I liked sort of Leia's kind of peek into that because the scene is written from Leia's perspective. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like, a whole lot just happened right there. And I don't know everything, but he offered his help to Mon Mothma so that she didn't have to humiliate herself in front of him uh, in a way that, you know, help them both save face and still achieve the goal that was needed, which was a very interesting scene to me. I, I enjoyed that. So a little bit of the political intrigue uh, is something that I do enjoy in star Wars. So, and there was some well-written stuff there in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so uh, I, th- I, th- think that might wrap up our i and, and i think it, so yeah again i mean there's obviously a lot of other things we could have talked about um and and i'm i'm a little mad at myself for we should have podcasted about this a few weeks ago when it was still fresh in my head and not to say that it's not fresh i mean it's it's still relatively fresh but i've read a couple star wars <laughs> books since um but uh yeah i mean i i love all the things we talked about i think we hit a lot of the big broad strokes um, yeah, there's there's definitely some other great things like you know obviously Wedge has some moments in there that are fun. You know, yeah. it's nice to see him uh, and, again. And worth uh, noting, great. That, worth noting that Zahn is the one who chose to like tells Wedge stories in this trilogy. I mean, again, they're not they're not huge, but that then became a catalyst for Mike Stackpole's Rogue Squadrons trilogy or saga, right? Like, 
Mm-hmm. Who would have thought that Wedge exactly. would have been so so uh, beloved by folks until Zahn was like, hey, I'm going to put Wedge in as like a fun little side character throughout this trilogy. Yeah, yeah, he, he kind of pops up here and there like he does in the movies, you know, uh, to keep showing back up and uh, surviving. Um, so there's some great stuff there. There's uh, some some wacky characters that Lando keeps running into. There's a, a ship thief that he uh, mm-hmm. is sort of like Lando's nemesis that keeps coming back in uh, Dark Force Rising and Last Command uh, that finally gets his comeuppance. So yeah, there's a whole lot of really interesting things in this this trilogy. And uh, if you haven't read it before, highly recommend it. And if it's been a while for you, uh, maybe give it a go again. It's It's well worth your time. Absolutely. It's super fun. I mean, and, and especially if, if like the original Star Wars trilogy is like your bread and butter Star Wars and you've not read this series, this is the series for you. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, oh, and for those of you who are uh, big Clone Wars fans, uh, there's a bunch of locations, planet names, uh, and things like that, that are, that were first brought to the star Wars universe that we go to in the clone wars that were here in this trilogy, Abrogado, yep. uh, to name one. So yeah, there's some, definitely some nice little nods and Easter eggs for fans of the prequels and the clone wars in particular, uh, that you might be reading and suddenly recognize something, uh, <laughs> that we got in the, the show. So. Sure. And well, and the fact that bad batch now has Mount Tantus in it, right? And all these cloning facilities. Yes. So, you know, these, once again, just a reminder that these old stories, while they are now legends, I think their influence on current Star Wars creators are still very much there. And, and we're going to see them worked into things. And, and you know, we'll close on this note, Jason, for the sake of time. Um, I think, you know, choosing to write the language of Thrawn is returning as heir to the Empire for the upcoming Ahsoka series, which we are now just over a week away from. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we have Thrawn coming back to pose a threat to the New Republic. That's that's one of the overarching themes of of this trilogy. Is is how does the New Republic stand together? How is how does this fledgling system that's trying to figure out how to be a more effective, freedom loving <laughs> government? Uh, be a remedy to the empire stand up to rising tyranny again. And I think that is a theme that'll probably work its way into the Ahsoka series. And, you know, you have this kind of crazed dark Jedi and Joris Sabath. And now we've got these potential dark Jedi characters in Balin and Shin coming up in the Ahsoka series. I don't think that either of them are quite insane like Sabath was, but time will tell. We, we don't know their story yet, but uh, I right. I feel like there are there are just elements of this trilogy that will, you know, there'll be seasoning on the Ahsoka series. I don't think there'll be uh, consequ- major consequential elements of it, but certainly some like seasoning for all of us fans of the Legends canon of like, hey, remember that thing that you really liked? Well, here's a new way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And obviously, we've already seen Captain Pelion. Um, right at the end of uh, Mandalorian season three. So uh, I think it's wherever Thrawn is, Pelion should not be too far away, um, which is always a win for me. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, 
Well, Carl, if people want to weigh in on our thoughts on this trilogy or, or share some of their favorite memories uh, from this trilogy, where can people get in contact with us? Well, we are on Twitter at uh, The Wampas Lair. You can all, or excuse me, that's where we are on Instagram. On Instagram, we're at The Wampas Lair. On Twitter, we're at Wampas Lair. And you can always email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. And uh, any final thoughts before we close out this episode? Nope. None at all. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 523, Thrawn Trilogy. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair.